Dan approached me on a Friday evening and said, don't sell the business, don't move to California. Could we do something by leveraging a bid ask exchange, a thing that powered global stock markets for, for frankly, you know, hundreds of years. What is up, futurists? This is your host, Michael Zakan, founder and creator of Our Future, the business podcast for young people. As I chef up this intro on this wonderful Friday morning, the presidential election has not yet been called. A lot is up in the air still. Uncertainty, certainly a defining theme of 2020. But you know, guys, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. We got American democracy playing out before us. And just want to say one thing. So many of the incredible business leaders I've interviewed have grown to be comfortable with and to embrace ambiguity. So you got to keep pushing, got to keep driving ahead. And that's exactly what we're doing today. Got another awesome interview lined up for you. So we have a reason to get hyped. My next guest is Greg Schwartz, COO and co-founder of StockX, the billion-dollar startup unicorn that revolutionized e-commerce by bringing stock market mechanics to the sneaker resale market. Who would have thought? StockX presides over a huge marketplace comprised of passionate buyers and sellers trading on the coolest kicks, and it's actually expanding beyond its role as the ultimate authority in the global sneaker market. It's getting into other resale categories like streetwear, collectibles, even electronics might be seeing a PS5 on there soon. And it is truly living up to its tagline as the stock market of things. Based in Detroit, Schwartz founded the company alongside Josh Luber, Dan Gilbert, and Chris Kaufman in 2015. The company now has an international team of over 800 people. Greg tells us an awesome story about entrepreneurship, as well as the importance of discipline and focus when building something. So without further ado, Enjoy my interview with Greg Schwartz. When you were my age, when you were 20 years old, what did you see for yourself? What was your lens on the world? And what did you think that you were going to go out and do when you you know, grew up? You know, I think at, at 20, I knew I loved building things. I didn't know much beyond that. Um, but I, but I love the idea of taking an idea and trying to turn it into something real. In Michigan, wanted to build things, dab started dabbling in mobile applications because it seemed like the new, the new thing. Came up with this idea for a mobile banking app and convinced a professor of Michigan to let me work on that uh, on, the, on the side. Um, and, and that ended up being sort of my first experience building a consumer product. And um, this, this app called Mobile Checkbook ended up being on, on a carrier deck, which was what existed before app stores. When I launched that, it was an amazing experience just seeing, wait a second, people are downloading this thing. They're sending me feedback about how it's helping keep track of their money. And so I ended up doing that on the side for a while, moved out to New York. But all the while, as my side hustle or that was sort of the mobile apps business, um, realized that it was, was enjoying that more than what I was doing by day in corporate America and wanted to pursue that sort of passion full time. You found it up to, uh, which was, I think it was described as a modern calendar platform that changed the way people interacted with the future. I love, I love that tagline. I love, uh, I love thinking about the future. You know, it's part of my brand too. So I ended up leaving New York, coming back to Michigan, started thinking about other ideas, pain points that I was having, you know, and, and there was at the time um, you saw the emergence of, of Facebook and Twitter and a lot of the social platforms and was really intrigued by this idea of tapping into intent. What do people have coming up versus you think about most social platforms are sort of a timeline that goes backwards in time. And I was thinking about what it would be if there was a timeline that looked forward. So you had visibility into, Hey, it would be nice to know that my friend was going to be at this event or at this lions game. And then, you know, intent data is really powerful. So we thought about a lot of different business models built on top of it. So it was in a way, 
you know, social calendaring product ended up growing it to hundreds of thousands of users, which we were really proud of. Where, where were you at that point, right? Like you had built this app, you had iterated upon it multiple times. How did the shift from up to to StockX kind of happen? In that space, you need to have, you know, millions upon millions of users to really monetize the platform the way that we had intended to monetize it. And so we were at a spot where we were looking to sell the business and we were about to sell it. And that that exit was going to take me out to, to mm-hmm. the Bay Area, which was at the time sort of the best option on the table and was really fortunate to have an incredible mentor and investor in Dan Gilbert uh, for up to. It was early 2015 that Dan approached me on a Friday evening and said, don't don't sell the business, don't move to California, which wasn't really what I wanted to do. I'm a Michigan guy. It was you know looking to stay in Detroit. And he, he approached me about starting a new business together. And the idea that we started kicking around that Friday evening was not necessarily about sneakers at first, it was around, could we do something unique in e-commerce, unique from a marketplace perspective by leveraging stock market mechanics, a bid-ask exchange, a thing that's powered global stock markets for, for frankly, you know, hundreds of years, and, and take that model and apply it to consumer goods to improve the experience, make it better than eBay, better than listings models. And as we started talking about this idea around something totally new in e-commerce, a new model, uh, we started talking about potentially sneakers being the first category. Full disclaimer, I was not a, a sneakerhead. I had a, a, a pretty light sneaker collection. Dan was exposed to sneakers through his kids. Um, I love fashion, though. I love music. A lot of things that have to do with just current culture. You decided on sneakers um, without either of you really being that invested, being really sneakerheads. So the first thing you had to do was find someone who knew a lot about sneakers. So that leads you to Josh Luber of Campless, which was a site that tracked sneaker valuations, was the first step to acquire that to create some momentum for this idea? One of the things I spent a lot of time thinking about was, what what do I love doing every day? What did I think I loved doing in the prior startup that I was telling myself I loved doing, but the reality was, wasn't it wasn't what I was passionate about. And there were a few different things there. There was, yes, there was a need to, we need someone that's a sneaker you know, expert, but also, the, real, the realization that I love being in the weeds of the business. I love thinking about product and operations, you know, not typically the one doing the podcast, not the one that wants to be out, out on stage, you know, being the evangelist. And it was incredibly serendipitous. I mean, Josh was sitting here building this data company, this price guide for sneakers, and not only had a ton of knowledge, but, you know, checked a lot of those boxes that, that I was looking for in a partner that Dan was looking for, and, and also had just a wealth of knowledge around sneaker data if you think about a stock market model, it's a data business, right? So he, you know, Josh plus the data business, you know, was a huge uh, asset to us as we look to, to to build StockX. And so we joined forces. You guys jumped headfirst into this yeah. business. I guess, what were the biggest challenges to getting it off the ground? And, I'm, and I bet you, I mean, this is something that Jake said. He said there were, there were some competitors spawning up at the same time. You know, what do you, what kind of crucial decisions did you guys make that allowed you to outmaneuver you know, other other uh, companies lurking in this this kind of new space. Yeah, I think there were we had counted 50 different sneaker marketplaces when we launched, one of which was eBay, which is really the dominant player in the in the space. And so there was there was no lack of people that were thinking about sneakers. But I think what helped us get to where we are and, and emerge from that from that large set of people trying to build businesses in the space was the model. At the end of the day, there were things inherent to 
the model, whether it was the transparency of data. So people started coming to StockX, using StockX as the authority on pricing, the same way that before you buy a share of stock, you might look at Yahoo Finance or Google Finance. We became the authority on data, which was part of uh, one of the tenants of the stock market model. The fact that the model is extremely engaging. Someone would come in and place a bid on a pair of sneakers and immediately everyone out there in, that had that sneaker gets a notification. And so you have this really dynamic live marketplace feel because it's a bid and an ask mechanic all on one product page versus eBay where you're browsing through thousands of listings and am I, am I buying from you or am I buying from the other person on StockX? All the negotiation, all the action happens essentially on one product page. So there were things that were really inherent to the model that I think um, was, is part of the vision from day one that helped separate us. It was not just, hey, we're going to go do sneakers. It was, we're going to go do sneakers and we're going to do it with a, a really unique approach to e-commerce. You mentioned these stock market mechanics. Can you walk us through how... Wall Street translates into this this thriving consumer marketplace you guys have built for the quote unquote stock market of things? Yeah, I mean, the best way to think about it, or I guess one example is to think about it from a seller's perspective. If you are a seller on Amazon, on Walmart, on any listing style marketplace, you list your product for sale. And you maybe say, I'm going to list it for $100. And then you wait, right? You wait for someone to come and buy it for that price. And you probably wish that you knew what someone was willing to pay for that item. That's very different than a stock market. If I'm a seller of an Apple share of stock, I know exactly what someone's willing to pay. I know exactly what I can sell it for at any given time. So on StockX, you have a similar concept where if I'm a seller on StockX, I can see not only the highest bid at any given time, which is tied to someone's credit card and, and represents literally consumer demand, but I can see the entire order book behind it. I can see all of the supply and all of the demand for that product. So you have incredible just visibility into, you know, in stock market lingo, the, the order book, right? And, and, and as a seller now, I don't have to upload pictures. I don't have to list and wait for someone to buy. I don't have to guess a price. Our sellers come in and just execute orders, just hit bids all day long. So it seems like something subtle, this concept of a bid. And then a bid isn't new. Of course, eBay had bids, but a bid in this way, tied to someone's credit card, in a single product page experience, all of these things together start to feel more like if I was selling a share of stock and just provide sell through and velocity to sellers. And the same, in the same way, a buyer comes through, can see historical pricing data, can see all the different you know, amounts that someone's willing to sell this product for, doesn't have to worry about, do you have a five-star rating or a four-star rating? Is it used? Is it fake? So there's a huge component of trust that's built into this as well. Built these market mechanics, you've built this teeming marketplace, you've built all these users and people with interest, right? Then you can throw new things into the platform in the form of an IPO of a physical product, not a company, a physical product. That's what you guys proved. You guys proved that you can IPO a product that is not like a company, right? And when, when Nike did their first IPO with you guys, was that like a huge aha moment for you? Yeah, look, we're constantly thinking about um, challenging the status quo and just driving you know, innovation. And I think this is just one example. We realized that, that we could provide a better model for releasing product into market. And today, I think if you talk to a customer of the products on StockX, they would say, it's a lot of frustration when you're trying to buy a product from a brand and you're just hitting a dead end and you know the, the actual consumer maybe doesn't have access to that product until they come to StockX. So we start thinking about in you know thinking about our, our stock market mechanics, how do you bring a better experience for buyers and for brands? And that's what an IPO really is. That we realize that 
using this, we it's, it's a blind Dutch auction is what we use, which is uh, essentially saying, you know, you, you release this product onto the market, everyone says what they're willing to pay for it. And then you find the lowest clearing price. So when we do these, it's pretty cool because everyone places their bid and we end up the people that get the product usually get it because it's the lowest clearing price for a price that's lower than they actually bid. So buyers end up really happy. That price tends to be higher than the retail price a brand was going to list it for. So the brand has a little bit of participation in you know the upside created by all that demand. Buyer gets it for a great price, everyone wins. But let's go back to trust because that's a, a word that you've used, I think five times already in this conversation and it's a tenant of your brand. So you guys have built out verification centers to make sure that your product is... Yep. Uh, the, the products are real and verifiable and you've set them up in multiple cities now across the world, even outside of the United States. And I've heard a, a bunch about these different tests you guys do to ensure a product is real. Some I've even heard of like sniffing the product. Like what are, what have you learned about proving whether a sneaker is fake or real? Yeah. You know, a lot of this is, is sort of, uh, is the secret sauce and we've spent, you know, years really iterating and perfecting this model um, it's a combination of phenomenal training, um, data, you know, ma- technology, machine learning that goes into this. Um, but we have, you know, we have um, authentication centers all over the world, an incredible team of authentication of authenticators um, that are, you know, the best, best in the world for just understanding not only what to look for in terms of real versus fake, but we're looking at making sure that a product meets our condition standards, that it's a new dead stock condition. Um, that it's, you know, the box is good, in good condition, that there aren't manufacturing defects. So a product passing through StockX, we're looking for all of those things. And uh, I've even heard of counterfeits uh, producing like this, the certified by StockX tag onto shoes that they're they're faking. Does that mean you guys have won? Like you guys have become, you guys have become integrated into to this universe? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty wild when we first saw that popping up and we now we put, um, we put QR codes that are, are harder to replicate that we can scan to, to, to verify the authenticity of the tag. But yeah, I mean, I think that was an eye-opening moment when we realized that people were spending time and energy trying to replicate the tag. And the tag is just, it's a huge part of our brand. It started with sneakers and it expanded out to streetwear and collectibles and handbags and watches even. So what other product categories are you eyeing for the future? I myself, if you look at my wall, I'm a huge car guy. Is it po- would it be possible to do this with, with automobiles? Would it be possible to do this uh, with other uh, pieces of maybe uh, electronics? What, what do you think? What, what's the future? Yeah, so electronics is one that we're, we're really excited about. I see Wired Magazine on your wall. Um, we, we recently launched electronics on the platform. We're focused on categories that really are important to our core customer. And, and this customer loves sneakers, loves apparel, loves collectibles. Electronics and gaming is a phenomenal overlap with that with that same customer. And so we've, we're selling everything from the hard to find NVIDIA gaming graphics cards um, to, to iPhone, iPhone 12s, to uh, yes. soon the new PlayStation 5 and Xbox, which is once in every seven years um, expected to sell out quickly and StockX will be one of the only places to not only get that product, but get a you know a, a guaranteed authentic uh, PlayStation 5 or, or Xbox um, when those release. Your company that you've built, I mean, being at the center of culture has attracted a lot of amazing personalities and celebrities who have either invested in the company or have worked with you guys on you know charity drops, whether it be like Eminem, uh, 
you know, raffling off his shoes or auctioning off his shoes to raise money for hurricane relief or having investors like Scooter Braun or Mark Benioff, just to name a few. You have any really cool stories uh, with any of these individuals that you'd point to or, you know, any great memory of, of one, one of these individuals you've hung out with? <laughs> you know, it was Josh to spend a lot of the time hanging out with the celebrities while I, while I was back in the, in the weeds of the business. So it was a good partnership in that sense. He was out having a lot of fun. Um, we're really fortunate to have a lot of great investors who are cultural influencers and they've been great partners. Eminem um, has been super generous with the sneakers he's donated. Um, we did a fun uh, segment with him that was filmed in Royal Oak where, where he handed over a pair of uh, very highly coveted Eminem Jordans. Um, and so there's a, a good video that's, that's available on YouTube if you want to check out, which is, I think, just a, a funny funny one to watch. is, is probably a great example of, of just a great moment with one of our investors. But yeah, Mark Wahlberg, we have to go into his closet and value his entire sneaker collection. Uh, Benioff, who who is a, you know not only a sneakerhead himself, but has a lot of family members that are, are awesome uh, customers on the platform. Just super fortunate to have partners that also are, um, you know, really relevant to our customers. You know, you've, you've built this company, um, you know, over the past decade, it's, it's valued at over a billion dollars, 800 team members. You did it out of Detroit. So as you look back on this experience, I mean, what is your piece of advice to aspiring builders? Yeah, I think two pieces of advice. First one is put your ego aside and hire and hire great people. And that's all, you know, I think of that together. I think if you, if, you, if, if you're going into a new business and it's all about you and not the company and not the customer, you're going to not have a, a great outcome. If you put your ego aside, not only hire great people, in my case, I'm a big believer in hiring your boss, hire people that know more than you know. You know, the first, I, I was, you know, the original CEO of StockX and it didn't take me long to realize, you know, Josh would be someone that would be an incredible, not only face of the company, but an even better CEO for this business. And, and then, you know, a couple of years later, we had the opportunity to hire Scott Culler, who had run eBay Americas and was the CEO of StubHub. You know, these are examples of just going out there and saying, this isn't about me. This is about finding and building the dream team. And, um, and so I'm a big believer in just, uh, you know, whether you think about it as hiring your boss or hiring people that know things that you don't know, um, going out there and, and putting the best people on your team um, is one piece of advice. Another one is just to you know, think very, very big, but don't forget to focus. So while our, our vision for StockX from day one uh, was and still is today to build, you know, the world stock market of things involves many, many categories and we get into new categories and in new, you know, in new territories with customers all over the world now, we also had to start with a lot of focus and discipline to say, we're not gonna launch with hundred categories. We're not gonna launch with every sneaker in the world. We're gonna launch focused on this product type with this particular community in mind. And I think it was that focus and discipline that allowed us to you know, get off the ground early on. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Greg Schwartz, co-founder and chief operating officer at StockX, sharing his journey, building an incredible business. I do have one request of you all today, and that's to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if it's not your main podcast app, means the world to me. We'll always toss you a shout out if you are riding for the team. Have an amazing weekend and as always, stay frosty.